Chapter Seventeen of Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Anderson. Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm by Kate Douglas Wiggin. Chapter Seventeen: Gray Days and Gold. When Rebecca looked back upon the year or two that followed the Simpsons' Thanksgiving party, she could see only certain milestones rising in the quiet pathway of the months. The first milestone was Christmas Day. It was a fresh crystal morning with icicles hanging like dazzling pendants from the trees, and a glaze of pale blue on the surface of the snow. The Simpsons' red barn stood out. A glowing mass of color in the white landscape. Rebecca had been busy for weeks before trying to make a present for each of the seven persons at Sunnybrook Farm, a somewhat difficult proceeding on an expenditure of fifty cents, hoarded by incredible exertion. Success had been achieved, however, and the precious packet had been sent by post two days previous. Miss Sawyer had bought her niece a nice gray squirrel muff and tippet, which was even more unbecoming, if possible, than Rebecca's other articles of wearing apparel. But Aunt Jane had made her the loveliest dress of green cashmere, a soft, soft green like that of a young leaf. It was very simply made, but the color delighted the eye. Then there was a beautiful tatting collar from her mother. Some scarlet mittens from Mrs. Cobb, and a handkerchief from Emma Jane. Rebecca herself had fashioned an elaborate tea cozy with a letter M in outline stitch, and a pretty frilled pincushion marked with a J for her two aunts, so that taken all together, the day would have been an unequivocal success had nothing else happened, but something else did. There was a knock at the door at breakfast time. And Rebecca, answering it, was asked by a boy if Miss Rebecca Randall lived there. On being told that she did, he handed her a parcel bearing her name, a parcel which she took, like one in a dream, and bore into the dining room. It's a present. It must be, she said, looking at it in a dazed sort of way. But I can't think who it could be from. A good way to find out would be to open it," remarked Miss Miranda. The parcel being untied proved to have two similar packages within, and Rebecca opened with trembling fingers the one addressed to her. Anybody's fingers would have trembled. There was a case which, when the cover was lifted, disclosed a long chain of delicate pink coral beads. A chain ending in a cross made of coral rosebuds, a card with "Merry Christmas from Mister Aladdin" lay under the cross. Of all things, exclaimed the two old ladies, rising in their seats, "Who sent it?" "Mister Ladd," said Rebecca under her breath. "Adam Ladd? Well, I never. Don't you remember Ellen Burnham said he was going to send Rebecca a Christmas present?" But I never supposed he'd think of it again," said Jane. "What's the other package?" It proved to be a silver chain with a blue enamel locket on it, marked for Emma Jane. That added the last touch to have him remember them both. 
There was a letter also which ran, Dear Rebecca Rowena, My idea of a Christmas present is something entirely unnecessary and useless. I have always noticed, when I give this sort of thing, that people love it, so I hope I have not chosen wrong for you and your friend. You must wear your chain this afternoon, please, and let me see it on your neck, for I am coming over in my new sleigh to take you both to drive. My aunt is delighted with the soap. Sincerely, your friend, Adam Ladd. Well, well, cried Miss Jane, isn't that kind of him? He's very fond of children, Liddy Burnham says. Now eat your breakfast, Rebecca, and after we've done the dishes, you can run over to Emma's and give her her chain. What's the matter, child? Rebecca's emotions seemed always to be stored, as it were, in adjoining compartments, and to be continually getting mixed. At this moment, though her joy was too deep for words, her bread and butter almost choked her, and at intervals a tear stole furtively down her cheek. Mr. Ladd called as he promised, and made the acquaintance of the aunts, understanding them both in five minutes as well as if he had known them for years. On a footstool near the open fire sat Rebecca, silent and shy, so conscious of her fine apparel and the presence of Aunt Miranda that she could not utter a word. It was one of her beauty days. Happiness, excitement, the color of the green dress, and the touch of lovely pink in the coral necklace had transformed the little brown wren, for the time, into a bird of plumage, and Adam Ladd watched her with evident satisfaction. Then there was the sleigh ride, during which she found her tongue and chattered away like any magpie, and so ended that glorious Christmas day. And many and many a night thereafter did Rebecca go to sleep with the precious coral chain under her pillow, one hand always upon it to be certain that it was safe. Another milestone was the departure of the Simpsons from Riverboro, bag and baggage, the banquet lamp being their most conspicuous possession. It was delightful to be rid of Seesaw's hateful presence, but otherwise the loss of several playmates at one fell swoop made rather a gap in Riverboro's younger set, and Rebecca was obliged to make friends with the Robinson baby, he being the only long-clothed child in the village that winter. The faithful Seesaw had called at the side door of the brick house on the evening before his departure, and when Rebecca answered his knock, stammered solemnly, "'Can I c keep c company with you when you g grow up?' "'Certainly not,' replied Rebecca, closing the door somewhat too speedily upon her precocious swain. Mr. Simpson had come home in time to move his wife and children back to the town that had given them birth a town by no means waiting with open arms to receive them. The Simpsons' moving was presided over by the village authorities and somewhat anxiously watched by the entire neighborhood. But in spite of all precautions, a pulpit chair, several kerosene lamps, and a small stove disappeared from the church and were successfully swapped in the course of Mr. Simpson's driving tour from the old home to the new. It gave Rebecca and Emma Jane some hours of sorrow to learn that a certain village in the wake of Abner Simpson's line of progress had acquired, 
through the medium of an ambitious young minister, a magnificent lamp for its new church parlors. No money changed hands in the operation, for the minister succeeded in getting the lamp in return for an old bicycle. The only pleasant feature of the whole affair was that Mr. Simpson, wholly unable to console his offspring for the loss of the beloved object, mounted the bicycle and rode away on it, not to be seen or heard of again for many a long day. The year was notable also as being the one in which Rebecca shot up like a young tree. She had seemingly never grown an inch since she was ten years old. But once she started, she attended to growing precisely as she did other things, with such energy that Miss Jane did nothing for months but lengthen skirts, sleeves, and waists. In spite of all the arts known to a thrifty New England woman, the limit of letting down and piecing down was reached at last, and the dresses were sent to Sunnybrook Farm to be made over for Jenny. There was another milestone, a sad one, marking a little grave under a willow tree at Sunnybrook Farm. Mira, the baby of the Randall family, died, and Rebecca went home for a fortnight's visit. The sight of the small, still shape that had been Mira, the baby who had been her special charge ever since her birth, woke into being a host of new thoughts and wonderments, for it is sometimes the mystery of death that brings one to a consciousness of the still greater mystery of life. It was a sorrowful homecoming for Rebecca. The death of Mira, the absence of John, who had been her special comrade, the sadness of her mother, the isolation of the little house, and the pinching economies that went on within it, all conspired to depress a child who was so sensitive to beauty and harmony as Rebecca. Hannah seemed to have grown into a woman during Rebecca's absence. There had always been a strange, unchildlike air about Hannah, but in certain ways she now appeared older than Aunt Jane, soberer and more settled. She was pretty, though in a colorless fashion, pretty and capable. Rebecca walked through all the old playgrounds and favorite haunts of her early childhood, all her familiar, her secret places, some of them known to John, some to herself alone. There was the spot where the Indian pipes grew, the particular bit of marshy ground where the fringed gentians used to be largest and bluest, the rock maple where she found the oriole's nest, the hedge where the field mice lived, the moss stump where the white toadstools were wont to spring up as if by magic, the hole at the root of the old pine where an ancient and honorable toad made his home. These were the landmarks of her childhood, and she looked at them as across an immeasurable distance. The dear little sunny brook, her chief companion after John, was sorry company at this season. There was no laughing water sparkling in the sunshine. In summer the merry stream had danced over white pebbles on its way to deep pools where it could be still and think. Now, like Mira, it was cold and quiet, wrapped in its shroud of snow. But Rebecca knelt by the brink, and putting her ear to the glaze of ice, fancied, where it used to be deepest, she could hear a faint tinkling sound. It was all right. Sunnybrook would sing again in the spring. Perhaps Mira, too, would have her singing time somewhere. 
she wondered where and how. In the course of these lonely rambles, she was ever thinking, thinking of one subject. Hannah had never had a chance, never been freed from the daily care and work of the farm. She, Rebecca, had enjoyed all the privileges thus far. Life at the brick house had not been by any means a path of roses, but there had been comfort and the companionship of other children, as well as chances for study and reading. Riverboro had not been the world itself, but it had been a glimpse of it through a tiny peephole that was infinitely better than nothing. Rebecca shed more than one quiet tear before she could trust herself to offer up as a sacrifice that which she so much desired for herself. Then one morning, as her visit neared its end, she plunged into the subject boldly and said, Hannah, after this term, I'm going to stay at home and let you go away. Aunt Miranda has always wanted you, and it's only fair you should have your turn. Hannah was darning stockings, and she threaded her needle and snipped off the yarn before she answered, No, thank you, Becky. Mother couldn't do without me, and I hate going to school. I can read and write and cipher as well as anybody now, and that's enough for me. I'd die rather than teach school for a living. The winter will go fast, for Will Melville is going to lend me his mother's sewing machine, and I'm going to make white petticoats out of the piece of muslin Aunt Jane sent, and have them just solid with tucks. Then there's going to be a singing school, and a social circle, and temperance after New Year's. And I shall have a real good time now I'm grown up. I'm not one to be lonesome, Becky, Hannah ended with a blush. I love this place. Rebecca saw that she was speaking the truth, but she did not understand the blush till a year or two later. End of chapter 17